Amen. Man, watching one of our young people sing, I am who you say I am, brought like tears to my eyes this morning. That was powerful. It's a beautiful thing. For those of you that find yourself at home, I hope that message reaches you. That of all the things you could be telling yourself right now, all the things that you could be whispering, that those words, I am who God says I am, may that hold you here this morning as we move here today. And can we all just take a moment to celebrate because it rained last night. If you were in Tucson, Arizona, and that's where you're joining us from, the city got baptized and it was real good. And so I'm super happy about that. Uh, and let's all just like celebrate that before we take a moment to complain about the humidity later. Cool? So let me jump in today uh, by telling you a story about something I learned really significant a long time ago. When I was 18 years old, my mom was in the midst of a fight with breast cancer. Uh, it's a season of my life that I remember distinctly. It's one of the only times I've ever had to walk through something quite like that. And it wasn't a short time. It was a long time. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time, she's okay now. Like she, she recovered. She's all right. Uh, that cancer is in remission. But I feel like you'll need to know that. I shared this with somebody earlier and never told them that and they freaked out. So that was my gift to you so that you don't have to hold that tension as we go on here. Um, but I remember the day that my parents told me that my mom had cancer. Uh, and that she'd been diagnosed, that she'd had a malignant tumor. It's one of those conversations, I don't know if you've ever had one of these, where it feels like you're talking about somebody else, like you're talking about a different family, because at the time, my mom was only a little bit older than I am now. And so I remember, you know, sitting in my, as my adolescent self, thinking cancer is the kind of discussion you have, like, at the, like, later in life. You don't think about that in your early 40s. You don't think about that in that season. It felt like we were talking about somebody else, but we weren't. We were talking about her. She had cancer, uh, and it was breast cancer, and this was going to begin a moment for us as a family. Now, I'm a really optimistic person in general. In my younger years, I was even more optimistic than I am now. And so that was not a moment whereby this began like the beginning of my mom's fight with cancer. For me, that was a moment that began her recovery, right? Like this was the beginning of her recovery uh, in how I thought about it and in what all of this was. I, I was sad, but I was hopeful. And I was holding on to this kind of hope. And at the time, even standing in this kind of faith of like who God was and what God wants for us. I remember at that time in my life reading Revelations chapter uh, 21 verse 4, where it talks about when all's said and done, here's the desire that God has for each of us, all of us as humanity, right? In this beautiful description, I read this at that season, it says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And I remember reading that and I needed that and I thought to myself, okay, that's God's heart. That's what he wants in the end. That's what he, I'm claiming that now. Like I, I want that for me now. And so this is my hope. This is my promise. This is what I have. And I clutched that thing with this strong kind of faith and this firm grasp on hope and held on tight and moved forward. And then came the first surgery. I remember the night before praying that, you know, doctors would have skilled hands, that they'd get all of the cancer and that would be it, you know, that we could move back to this because I didn't want to, I want to keep walking through this. I wanted health and healing for my mom. And I wanted to get to that place where we go back to normal, right? Where we can get back to life as I wanted it to be, as it was good and, and my family was good. And yet the surgery proved that it was a little more complicated than that. So they got most of it. And then we began chemo a series of chemotherapy treatments. You know, it's hard to watch somebody go through chemo. It's really hard to watch somebody lose their hair. My mom was a barber and a hairdresser for a long time growing up. Um, so it's really hard to watch somebody who spent their life doing hair lose their hair. 
I don't remember watching that, but she was awesome. She went out and got a wig that looked uh, like a little different than her hair, <clears throat> excuse me, a little different than her hair normally looked. And she came home and told us that when she wore that wig that her new name was Millie. <laughs> and so we all laughed. Uh, we did. And I remember laughing at that moment. And even that moment as I walked through this with my family, with everybody, holding faith, holding hope, being like, all right, we're, like, we're going to move forward with this. And God is good. And let's do this. And let's keep fighting. And, and time went on. You see, that moment was followed by more chemotherapy and by more surgeries. And the hard part about chemo, the hard part about recovering from surgery, is that it doesn't just impact your body, it impacts your brain chemistry. And so, so my mom, who was a really strong individual through this time, also was so sad. Uh, and just watching that and watching somebody walk through a hard time like that, it's difficult. It was really difficult. And so I, as a young person at that particular time, came to a spot in my own life where I was just tired. And I was frustrated. You ever get to the spot you commit to like, I'm going to take this journey and then you take it and you're like, and it's good. And I'm holding hope. And then you walk in it and it's just longer than you thought it would be. And it's more than you thought it would be. And you just, you get worn out. At a time when I was particularly worn out, I was 18 years old and I drove to the old site, Casas old site, which was at Ida and La Choya. And, and I drove on a Thursday night, like I had been doing for year after year after year, because every Thursday night I drive to what used to be the old site and, and take clarinet lessons in an empty classroom in a place we used to call the G building with an instructor that had began as my instructor long ago and had become my friend over the years. And so I showed up that Thursday, I walk in with my clarinet and I start unpacking it. There's this piece we've been working really hard on that we're going to play together. And before we started to play, he looked at me and goes, hey, it's good to see you. How are you? And in that moment, my eyes welled up with tears. Like, and I hadn't planned on doing any of this, much like I hadn't planned on crying with all you here this morning. <laughs> hadn't planned on any of that. And yet here I was, because it was the honesty of where I was at. And it just started to flow out of me. And I, was, I, I said, look, sorry. I'm just having a really hard time right now. I'm tired and I'm sad and I'm having a hard time holding the hope, hard time holding on to hope right now. And he said, why don't we work on that piece a little later? And he grabbed two chairs and he put them in the room and he sat in one and I sat in the other. And I just started to talk. And I talked and I talked and I shared about all that had been going on. I just about how I'd held on to faith and held on to hope and this confidence of God and what he does and who he is. And then just seems like I wasn't seeing any of that. And seems like I was getting really tired of walking through most of these moments. And now I'm just at this, was at this spot. Well, what am I supposed to do here? And with all the compassion in the world, he looked at me, his name was Steve. And he looked at me and he goes, Ryan, I don't know what God's doing here, but I know that you're not holding hope for your mom alone. And then he talked to me about he and his family had been praying for my mom every, every week and how there are groups of people, and he was a person who went to our church, went to Casas, how there are groups of people around Casas that were praying for our family and carrying this. And I suddenly began to realize that I wasn't the only one holding the hope that I'd had. And there was something about that moment. You see, it, it didn't change the circumstances or change my whole situation. But when that night ended and I found myself walking back to the car that evening, it was like somebody had breathed life back into my spirit and purpose back into my steps. Like there was a renewed sense of energy and, and just what it was before me. And I found myself holding hope and not alone. And it was powerful, friends. It was powerful. You see, the thing that I learned most from that season of my life is that it is hard to hold hope alone. It is, it's hard to hold hope alone. It's hard to stand in faith and hold on to hope when you're stuck in the place between pain and promise and when it takes a little longer than you thought it would. And it's just, you start to wear down a bit. 
But friends, the thing I learned most from that moment with my instructor and friend is that even though hope is hard to hold alone, if you're a part of the church, if you're in Christ, you don't have to. You don't. You don't have to. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about being a church. And if I'm really honest as a pastor and as a leader, that's one of the things I worry the most about losing or or just loosening up on right now as as we all kind of gather in our own homes and everything else. And I'm not talking about the churches in me as a leader or, or staff who like, you know, help do this or even a physical campus. I'm talking about we all who are the church, each and every one of us. It is a potent and powerful thing. It is a life changing thing. It breathes life into your spirit and power into your steps. And so I share this with you all today because, well, the story from my past feels a little relevant to where we are right now, even though we're in a different place here, aren't we? I share it with you all today because I think for many of us, I feel like as we've started to journey through much of the complexity that has gone on in us and around us right now, it can kind of feel like we're stuck journeying in this time between pain and promise, and it's taking a little longer than we thought it would. I mean, think about it. Back in, what, late February, early March, as you started to hear about some of this, and you started to hear COVID was going to happen, and and you heard about stay-at-home orders, and we canceled some services, and other things around us started to shut down, we all were like, okay, I don't like it. Some of us were like, I don't even know if I'm like okay with what's happening right now, or even the decisions being made, people were like, but but everyone, everyone kind of generally was like, but we'll do the thing we need to do here, and it might take a couple of weeks, maybe it might even take a month, <laughs> right? But like, we'll lock lock it down, we'll do this, and you did, and lots of people did, and now here we are, and it's not weeks later, and it's not even a month, it is months that we are now in here a little bit later. And they've stretched on, and as recently cases have begun to rise, and tensions have begun to rise, and things even around us, and you feel some of that, and this one month sprint has turned into a long-term marathon, as we go to walk through this. And you can just start to feel a little tired. I mean, imagine if I'd gone to you a year ago and I told you that in the month of July when it was 110 degrees out that you were gonna be wearing a three-layer face mask outside, like turning your face into a virtual human hot pocket. Like nobody would have been like, yeah, sign me. You wouldn't have believed me. You would have argued till you're blue in the face and yet here we are. And isn't it nice to always know what your breath smells like? I happen to think ignorance was bliss. I miss it (laughs) on there. I do. And it's amidst all of that that there's hurt and pain and conflicts over racial tensions. And those things are at a boiling point. We've seen them boil over in culture, society, life all around us here. And police officers face an enormous series of of questions and concerns and things that they go to navigate what life is going to look like for them as they move forward. For us, as we go to log into social media, it's hard to log into social media and not actually see frustration, anger, hurt, right? all kinds of arguments. Sometimes to me, it feels like so many people are shouting that I find myself wondering, how are we supposed to listen to another person? How are we supposed to ever hear the story of another person if we are never, if their voice is drowned out by the decibel of our own? But at least, friends, at least as this is stretched on for a bit and complexity is layered on, we can still find our way up to the mountains in the midst of the summer and enjoy the pines. When I found out... (laughs) that Mount Lemon was on fire, my very first thought was like, are you kidding me? Is this a joke? But it wasn't. It's just, it's been a lot. That's why I'm walking through all of that. It's just to acknowledge it's been a lot. And I have noticed as a pastor, as a leader, as a person, I have noticed that in the very last, in the last two weeks here, 
It seems like people have shifted in the way that I hear them talking. A couple of weeks ago, what people would talk to me very emphatically was, what we need to do is, and now in the last two weeks, the thing I hear is a different question. And it's, I mean, what are we really supposed to do? And I feel that shift, and I can hear it. And I've noticed that because of stress, because of confusion, because of fatigue, prolonged frustration, that for many, it's getting a little harder to hold on to hope in the same way that you held it in the beginning. And you can feel the hands beginning to slip a little bit. You can feel the grip beginning to loosen. It's just because you're tired. Because we're tired. Because it's been a little longer than we thought. It might have been a little harder than we thought it would be. And so to each of us here, whether you gather in your homes, whether you're in your cars, whether you're some of the volunteers, people in this room, to each of us here this morning who are the church, can you hear me when I say, as we move forward, and I don't mean in this service, I don't mean in this message, I mean in our lives. As we move forward, hear me when I say, don't hold hope alone. Don't hold hope alone. There's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. It's found in the New Testament towards the very end of your Bibles. And it's this beautiful book. It's written to a Jewish audience and it's, it's stressing and emphasizing who Christ was, who, what he did, his sufficiency, his beauty, and his power in us and through us so that we can live powerfully out of that in our lives around us and in, in the life that is before us. All of that. It's this really powerful message. But it's not this message that was just like, okay, here's some good theology and a friendly reminder when life is easy. The author's writing this at a time when persecution for Christianity was on a rise and about to step into to an era that was like a historic moment for persecution in Christianity, where it was historic highs. It was a crazy season. It was at a time when it was economically difficult to be a part of a church, because in order to even just work in the business world and different things in that culture and in that society, you had to do some things that at times meant worshiping false idols or making sacrifices to things that a lot of Christians were saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And so they were economically cut off in some ways and had to wrestle through that. And it was written at a time when it would have been so much easier for the church to just kind of fade into oblivion as it navigated forward. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing about how profound Christ is and what that is in each of us that it might compel all of us together to hold, to stand in that faith, to hold on to that hope and to live powerfully as we bring love into our lives and the lives around us. There comes a spot in Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we're going to go today. If you have your Bibles on your phones, whatever you want to do, you can go there. There comes a spot in Hebrews chapter 10 where the author stops speaking to just the individual and he speaks to all of us as followers of Christ. And he makes three really bold requests. And so I wanted to use the rest of the time we have here today to walk through each of those requests and take a look at them because I think it's relevant. And I think it's potent, and I hope it breathes some life into your spirit, even here as you move forward today. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, or beginning at verse 22, going to verse 25, it says this. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I want to point out the first request that you see here and it's this, let us, right? Let us who are the church, us who are followers of Christ, let us draw near in faith. This is a really big statement. Yeah. Like we might look at this and be like, cool, have faith. Got it. 
Don't. It's a really big statement for the author of Hebrews to make to his, remember, primary, to his Jewish audience. This is a group of people that historically had grown up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They had been living in a tradition that was a temple tradition and a tabernacle tradition in which there were places that they, as human beings, could not go to because they were considered so holy that if they were to go into them, it would cost them. There were some places in the temple, there was a place in the temple where it was thought to contain the fullness of the presence of God. And if a human being were to walk into that place, it was thought that they would drop dead, said that they would drop dead. The high priest was only allowed in there once a year to make special sacrifice, right? Or special anointing. I mean, this is, this is a crazy thing. And so this is their mentality. So when it says to draw near in faith, and if you look at the previous parts of the passage, it's basically saying we can have full assurance and full confidence to enter into the holiest of places with God. What he's he's saying to his Jewish audience is the things you judge about yourself, God isn't holding against you. Enter into the holiest of places and draw near in faith. Step forward in that kind of consequence. The thing that was hard for them about that, it's not that they were afraid of of God or afraid of the holy place that they would walk into. They're afraid of themselves because they'd made some mistakes or because they thought they were impure because they'd done something or felt like if God really saw them, then this would happen if they entered in. And what he's saying, think of the language in verse 22, our hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed, our consciences pure. He's saying, draw near in faith because what you might be holding against you, God isn't. So stand confidently, walk forward, draw near to him. I think some of us are probably tired because during this whole crazy season of life, even though maybe we know that God is as close to us as he ever could be, we don't feel close to him. And I think for maybe, probably for some of us here, it's been a while since we drew near in whatever that means or looks like for each of us. Maybe for you, it's been a while since you prayed Maybe for you, it's been a while since you just calmed yourself and stepped away from all the chaos and all the noise and even the noise of your own judgments through all of this, because that's been hard, hasn't it? As this has stretched on for a period of time, some of us are exhausted because amidst all the stress and all the adaptation, we wanted to be a certain kind of spouse, but we didn't show up that way. And it's good reasons, bad reasons, I don't know, but we said some things and we've done some things that we regret. Some of us wanted to be that as a sibling, as a friend, as a coworker. Whatever those moments and things in our life. And now you just find yourself going, I feel distant from God and I feel weird praying. And I just, I don't know. I just wish we could go back or I wish we could get over. Someone's just out of fatigue and out of whatever adaptation has occurred. You You just feel like it's been your worst self that's been living through COVID. It's your worst self that's been walking through these last several months. It's really hard to stand confidently in faith when you don't like yourself. It's even harder to stand confidently in faith with God when you feel like God doesn't like you. The author of Hebrews is telling you, whatever that voice is in your head, it's not the one in God's. Whatever you're holding against yourself, you can stand confidently in the fact that Christ makes you new, washes you clean, pulls you near, that there is room. Stand confidently in that faith and draw near, friends. So what would it look like for you this week? What would it look like for you to pause and to pray? What would it look like for you to just take a moment to reflect on this particular verse and claim it for yourself that you might live it with your life? What would it look like for you each day as you wake up this week just to remind yourself of what is true with God, with Christ in you, that you might live confidently out of that and draw near in faith? He's not as far away as you might think, despite how tired you might be. That brings me to the second request here that the author makes of us, right? That second ask, and it's this. He says, let us hold on to hope. 
Let us hold on to hope. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. See, for us, it's really important that we acknowledge we are a Western audience who tends towards seeing everything individualistic, reading a book, reading a passage that was written to an Eastern culture who saw everything collectivistic, right? Like a together kind of way of looking at all of this. And so there's something here that I think we'll miss because for us, when we read that verse, I think that the two things that we will naturally gravitate towards in that two words is the verb and the object of that verb. So we'll look and go, what do we need? What do I need to do? And what's that thing, right? So I need to what? Hold fast, hold tight, hold on, do better to what? Hope. That's the thing. And we'll gravitate. We'll say, so that's what I need to do. And here's what I know. Many of us, when we read our Bibles, even when we read this passage, if you heard nothing more than that today, you'd find yourself going home being like, I need to do better. I need to try harder so that I hold hope so that I don't doubt so that I can navigate this season in a better way. Look, if I were to stand in front of any of y'all who are tired right now, if I were to stand in front of any of you guys who find yourself just looking at the fatigue of all this and look at you and be like, here's the answer, do better, you'd slap me. You would. I wouldn't see you again. You wouldn't talk to me much longer. It's because it's not what you need. Even those of us who are crazy achievement-oriented people, we would find ourselves going like, okay, let's do this thing. I'm going to garner up hope. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to commit. And then two weeks later, you'll find yourself more tired than you were right now, facing the same problem, trying to gin up the same kind of energy. It's hard. This isn't what he's getting at. Don't miss this. The two most important words in this verse are the words us and the word our. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. It's really important for us to see this because we're wired and we think so differently in our culture right now. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What the author is saying is, friends, the best way to hold hope is to hold it with others. The best way to hold hope is to hold it with others. In that story I shared with you earlier about my clarinet instructor, I had really big cares that I was carrying. I did. I, I had significant cares about my mom's health, about the well-being of my family. I had cares about the things I was facing and struggling with and wrestling through. And I had hopes for grace and compassion and all of this and wanted to see peace reign forward. And amidst those, right, amidst all those cares, there are these huge hopes I had hopes for healing and restoration. I had hopes for peace, right, to make its way through my family. I had hopes that my mom would come to experience the unconditional love of Christ, even in hard circumstances. And I had hopes that I would experience it too. And what made that moment with my instructor so profound was that in a time where I was most tired and most discouraged and most struggling to hold on to that hope, that someone cared enough to tell me, I'll carry it with you. That in that moment, someone cared enough to tell me, I share your hopes and I hold them too. And even though it didn't change anything around me, it changed me. It was powerful, friends. It can breathe life into your very soul. This is, do you, do you recognize, not just for this as individuals, this is the power of a church. Wherever you might find yourself right now, whether you are scattered about in your homes, like I said, whether you're listening to this in your car, whether you haven't seen another member of your church in a long time, or whether, you know, whatever it is you find yourself in, this is no less true even now. We carry hope together. We hold it together. It's a profound kind of power that breathes life into our spirit, breathes life into our soul and purpose in our step. 
And so I want to I invite all of us, encourage all of us to, to engage in an exercise this week. And so I, I want you either to write this down, take a picture of maybe whatever is going to happen on the slide, uh, on, your, on your screen here, however you do that, you do you. Uh, but I have two fill-in-the-blank sentences that I want you to wrestle with this week. You don't have to do it now, but this week. So I want you to write them down so you can do this later. The first one is this. In my life, right now, I'm struggling with blank. Whatever that thing is. I want you to write that down. And at some point in time during this week, I want you to fill in that blank for whatever that is for you. And here's the second one. In that struggle, right? That one I just identified. In that struggle, one thing I hope for is blank. What's that one thing you hope for? Or something you hope for in light of this? Fill in that blank. And then here's what I want you to do with it. Sure, I hope that that exercise, right, just for you is, is a great thing. What I really want you to do with it is this, though. I want you to do something really vulnerable, and I want you to do something really brave. And I want you to take what you have there and find someone who really cares about you, and I want you to share it with them. And I want you to tell them. And then I want you, after you've shared the hope that you have, to ask them, will you hold this with me? That might sound cheesy or might make you feel a little uncomfortable if that's not something you would normally do. I promise you, it's powerful. I promise you, it is a powerful thing to know that someone holds hope with you and that you don't hold it alone. And it is a powerful thing to do with one another as a church. If it's not somebody in your home, get on Zoom. Use, utilize the means available. Get on like Google Hangouts, FaceTime, use your phone, do whatever it is you need to do. I recognize it may not be everybody's preferred medium of communication, but it's what we have right now. So may we use it to be the church as the church ought to be, friends. Use what's before us. Let's hold hope with one another because the best way to hold hope is to hold it with someone else. And that brings me to the third request that the writer makes the church and of each of us, and it's this. Let us stir one another to love. Stir one another to love. Hebrews 10, uh, looking at verse 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, when a group of people who know what it is to draw near to God, know what it is to have confidence because of what Christ has done in them, and so they draw near in faith with God, and they draw near to one another. When that group of people chooses to hold on to hope, not alone, but with one another, in a profound kind of way, it is a recipe for this beautiful kind of energy to just start pouring out from them into life around them. And that recipe, that energy, looks and feels and is love. It's this powerful kind of thing that can make its way forward out of this. I mean, think about it. If a group of people, even like us, scattered about though we may be, find ourselves in a place where we draw near with, to God in faith, draw near with one another in faith, and we hold hopes together for our lives, the hope of Christ in us and around us, for our world, there becomes a powerful opportunity to love this community, to love the people in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in a profound way, in a powerful way. See, when he uses this word stir up, he's, he's getting at some of this. When he uses the word stir up, he's doing, he's doing something that was a, a really clever, actually. The writer of Hebrews uses a phrase here that's not used normally in this way at all. The word for stir up that gets used is the same word that's almost always used in a negative fashion. It would always be used to say, and I, I, I spoke in such a way that I just exasperated this person. 
It's always used in this negative light. And I started speaking, and as I was speaking, as I engaged this other human being, I stirred them up, and they got so angry, they went and, like, you know, did whatever. I, I caused rage. This would be the same word that would be used if I were to go out and start speaking with hatred and anger and frustration to such a degree that people all around me started swelling up in that anger together and, riot, like, riding going crazy. Like, it's that kind of energy. This is what that word stir up uses. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he takes something that would have had a very visual picture and a very visceral understanding and he, spe he flips it on its head and he goes, that same type of energy that you hold in this word with a negative sense, this is what the church is to bring in love. We're supposed to bring that kind of power and that kind of energy in the way that we stir up love in one another. May we all stir up one another with the same tenacity that people stir one another to anger. That's what's it's in the grammar. It's what he's pointing to. Think about this. Less than 100 years after the book of Hebrews was written, one of the earliest church fathers is a guy named Tertullian. He's facing this moment where the, the Roman government is clamping down and trying to kind of squelch out Christianity and there's all this persecution. But he thinks, you know what? They don't really have interaction with us. They don't know us. So I need to, to give them, uh, uh, plead my case. It's called his apology. I need to tell them, this is what this really is, and you need to see how this really is happening in society. He writes this lengthy thing. At one point in time in his document, he writes about how the people around the church perceived those in the church, and he writes this one phrase. This is a direct quote. He says, when the people who aren't in the church look upon us, look upon the movement of Christ, what they find themselves saying is, see how they love one another. It's like a hallmark trait, as a defining characteristic of what the culture understood the church to be. And that is good news because think all the way back to Christ. What did he say? And this is how you shall know that you are my, this is how they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. By the way that you love one another. Not less than a hundred years, like less than a hundred years after that, the writer of Hebrews is writing. And he's saying, guys, the way everyone else wants to stir up anger in everybody else as a church, be ones who stir up love, right? Let this be your characteristic. May they know you by your love for what? One another. And then less than 100 years after Hebrews, as the early church is being described, says that the people looked upon it and said, look at how they love one another. Defining characteristic. Friends, we are that church. That is our opportunity. That is our defining characteristic to hold and to live out and to carry forward even here, even now. It is a gift to the world around us. This is what the world needs. I mean, think about it. This might have been, this, and it is, a really hard season. And there is struggle and there is a hardship. But doesn't that just mean there's just more opportunity for a church to be a church? Doesn't that just mean that there's more opportunity for love to pour forth from those of us who call ourselves the church? It's ripe. It's all around us. Wherever there is pain, there's an opportunity for the church to speak love and heal. Wherever there is anger, there's opportunity for the church to speak love and bring peace. Wherever there is fear, there's opportunity for the church to speak love and bring calm. Amidst all the pain that we as a city, as a nation, as a world are facing right now, it just means that there's that much more opportunity for us to raise our voice of love and stir it up all around us. For those of us who find ourselves drawing near in faith, holding hope together, a powerful kind of love becomes a gift, even here, even now. And I'd go so far as to say, especially here, 
especially now. And so for those of us that are a part of the church, right? This isn't about a building. It's not about leaders. It's not about staff. This is about all of us. I'm going to ask each of us to individually engage some questions that can bring life together out of this thing. And here's one of those. And just, I'm going to walk through it quick. It'll be posted in the chat if you're online with us. It's this. Ask yourself this week, where am I stirring up hostility where I could be stirring love? Where am I stirring up fear where I could be stirring up love? Where am I stirring up division where I could be stirring up love? And then here's the most important one. It's the one I want you to ask. It's this, where will I stir up love this week? Friends, if you find yourself here today, wherever you might be, living in that space between pain and promise and feeling a little worn out by the length in between, even now. I encourage you, I implore you even, to open your eyes and your heart to the larger truth that you are a part of, that you have been a part of all along. And it's this, you are the church. Right now, right here, right wherever it is that you are, you are the church. You are the holiest of spaces. You enter into the holiest of spaces. God is as close to you right now as he could ever be. And amidst all you don't know about your future, may the confidence of Christ in your present allow you to walk forward confidently now. May it bring goodness and peace to you this week. And friends, you are not alone. We need each other. It's a part of our DNA. There are people who hold the hope of Christ and hold hope in your specific life, whatever it is you're facing with you. Or at the very least, I know they want to. They share your cares. And they feel if they feel your hands tiring, they're the people who get to look next to you and go, I'll hold this with you. But you got to let them know and hold this with somebody else that it might breathe life back into our souls and purpose back into our steps. Because for those of us who make up the church, when we draw near in faith in that way, when we hold hope with one another and we start to let love flow through us that it might make its way out of us, it becomes a powerful gift to the world around us. And that is why we don't give up meeting together and we keep encouraging one another. And I'm not talking about in person. There's a hundred different ways that we can engage that right now. Get creative, find means, but take that step because it becomes a gift to the world that the world needs. It's good to be the church. I want to close with the way our, our writer closes this passage as a reminder to each of us here this morning, today, wherever you find yourself. And it's this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. God, I come before you today, so many of us scattered all about come before you today and pray for one another. Many of us are tired, Lord, and we pray for strength. Many of us are, are just fatigued and, and need that renewed energy, Lord. And so I pray, God, that for those of us that need to draw near in faith and what that looks like this week, that you give us the courage and the steps and the pause to do so. Empower that, Father. Help us to do so confidently, knowing the way you love us. For those of us, Lord, that are having a hard time holding on to hope, may we share it with somebody else. And may there be people who hold it with us, that we might know the power of what it is to be the church, that no one needs to hold hope alone. And God, in all of that, do the thing that you do best.
love. May your love flow through us, out surround us, and overflow into the lives of the world and people and things around us. There's so much opportunity. Help us to stir it up, God. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, it's good to be with you today, and I hope to see you soon.